okay, well, let's do this again, shall we? For the 40th time, we're going to do this again. Hopefully this time, everything works. Let me clap. Okay. I, I am trying my best to keep it together right now, but I am a little tacked off. Okay, I've been trying to record this episode, and we just are having issues. So every single time that I, like, start recording, literally somebody's like, let me call you. Let me send you a text. Let me ask you 8 million questions. So even though I have my phone on Do Not Disturb, people just keep calling me anyways. Good times. Okay, today we're going to talk about 1 Samuel 16, which is when David gets anointed king and the time that happens in that and then how do we apply that to our lives right how do we understand our fields how do we understand from david going from king to field or from king from anointed to field what does that do for us in our waiting seasons how can we do the same things and come out and slay giants right and in first samuel 16 you see something very significant so samuel is the prophet of that day he is the one that is giving the word of the lord right and you know that samuel's story is super cool because Samuel's mom wanted a baby, pleads at the temple steps. Literally, one of the priests thinks that she's drunk. Like, just that's what's happening. And she tells God, I will give my baby over to you wholly if you give me a baby. And so that's how Samuel, like, he, he is born and then he literally goes to the temple and he lives there. That's his whole life. And so Samuel only knows literally like one, that's it. That's one lifestyle. And so, but Samuel's the, the prophet of the day. And, and then in 16, the Lord wants to anoint a new king. Why? Because, sorry, I feel like I'm about to cough. You know when you get like that tickle in the back of your throat? You're either going to sneeze or you're going to cough and you don't know what's about to happen. But the Lord anoint, what well, the Lord rejects Saul in 15. But then in 16, you see that God goes, okay, it's time to raise up a new king. And the thing about Saul is this. A lot of people don't understand. They just see Saul as a bad person. He was actually a very good king. But then Saul allowed himself to become more significant than the will of the Lord. And so you watch Saul go from one didn't even want to do it. He was trying to hide. Saul didn't want to do it. And then he gets anointed king, becomes king, doing great. Everything's great. Israel was prospering for a very long time under Saul. And then he just did his own thing. So you see God ask Samuel to go anoint a king. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And what happens there is Jesse brings all of his sons, right? All of his sons come forward, except his dad doesn't even call David from this field. How would you like that? How would you like your parents to, to think that you could never, to the point where they don't even call you into the same room? And so all of his sons pass by Samuel and Samuel goes, no, the Lord said it's not him. The Lord said it's not him. But what you read in seven is this, right? You read, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance of or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then when you go further down, you see, right? From there, you see all his sons pass by. Nope, nope, nope asks Jesse for where his other son is. And he literally goes, he's tending sheep. Like you really want to meet him. And so David comes in and David is anointed king. That's what happened. And then from there, you don't know what happens for a significant amount of time. 
that is one of the things of the Bible that's kind of hard to understand sometimes is the time jumps of how long. Because we just read and then it's like, boom, okay, David then is in Saul's service, okay? And then you read and then David's killing Goliath, right? But there are time jumps that are happening in the midst of those. And so what happens in the time jump between David being anointed to David calming the spirits that are tormenting Saul to then killing Goliath? What happens there? Because we know that in seven, it says that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what is God going to do to David's heart in the midst of this to get him to the place where he is calming down tormenting spirits and killing giants? What happens? So we're going to break that down. The field is something that for me, has been very significant in my life. And I preach on it regularly to young people specifically because I want them to understand that the waiting season is not a punishment. It is not God being angry, disappointed, or upset with you. It is not any of those things. It is God actually saying, hey, I want to bring you into the fullness of who I have created you to be. I want you to walk with identity and purpose and authority And I want you to kill things, but I need you to know me. And I want to know you just as much. I want you to tell me. I want you to talk. I want you to walk with me. I want us to have everything be so closely knit that you don't do a thing without thinking about me. That's what the field does. So for those of you guys are like, okay, well, how do I make this field significant? How do I help this work? How do I get this to come together? The field is about cultivation. If you're writing down notes, the field is about a cultivation. And what does cultivation mean? It means a working, right? When farmers talk about they're going to go cultivate the field, they're going to till it up. They're going to make new soil. They're going to bring up the good soil. They're going to get rid of the rough. And so when you're cultivating, what you're really doing is planting the seed so that he can take root in your life. And honestly, for a lot of people, the waiting has become a punishment because they have not cultivated. A field is just a field if nobody cultivates it. It's just a lonely season at that point. It's just a desert. But if you begin to cultivate, watch new life spring up. And what do I mean when I say cultivate? There are three keys that, that are determining your cultivation. And it has to do with humility, honesty, and steadfastness. Those are the three keys, right? And so why are those important? You have to humble yourself enough to be able to be in relationship with the Father. And what do I mean by that? Are you willing to lay aside everything to spend time with him? That takes the humility of your heart. And so for me personally, I, in that season, what humbleness for me was how much time am I willing to give to the Lord? Am I willing to yield to him? And as I began to spend more time with him and began to cultivate that, ah, I just hit that, that might've just peaked a little bit. But as I began to spend more time with him, as I began to cultivate these things, I watched my life shift and my field shift from just this just feels like a freaking punishment because God has me here too. I can't wait to spend more time with you. I went from 
I only want to give you 10 minutes to I'm giving you two hours. I'm going to read my Bible for two hours. I'm going to journal and I'm going to spend time in prayer and intercession. And I watched my heart become alive for people above myself. I watched my selfishness begin to float away and the humility begin to rise forth. The second one is honesty. In the field, are you willing to be honest with The reason that I have the relationship I have with God is because when I was in that season, when I was in the field trying to cultivate relationship with the Father in the secret place, right? I had to be really honest of what I was feeling. Like, God, I kind of feel overlooked right now. I'm kind of feeling hidden. I just don't, I don't know. I don't feel like this is really like I'm doing what you're supposed to, what I'm supposed to be doing in this season. But that brought forth the beauty of communication and relationship with the Father that I have now of, okay, when I'm not doing okay, am I going to be honest in my heart like I was in that season? When I'm happy, am I still going to be honest in my heart like I was in that season? This is when, this is this was the season where the the car talk started. If you've listened to me for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I get in my car and I yell or I process or I just have a conversation with the Lord and and that's how sometimes our communication is. That's not my secret place time. No, that's just me communing with God. That is just me being like, okay, God, I want to tell you some things. When this person said this to me, it made me feel like this. And how could they say that? Every time God is so gracious to me to be like, okay, you gotta love them. Gotta love them. And I've watched my heart begin to shift for people and for even for movements that I don't agree with, just like my heart shifting to more of like, how do I, I bring love into that? How do I show the light and love of Jesus in the midst of that? But the last point that I have is steadfastness. And steadfastness translates to building a relationship with God, your secret place. How I like to explain the secret place to a lot of my students is that the secret place is a well. And each of us has to dig our well so that more of him can be filled in. And so are you willing to take the time to dig or do you want a shallow well? And so for me personally, every time that I go, I spend time with the Father, I watch myself fall more in love with him and I watch the wells of my heart begin to get filled up with him. Less of me and more of him. And as that happens, I watch myself switch the way that I love or the way that I speak or the way that I communicate to people. When I'm doing great, my well is is full. I am loving very, very well. But when I am a mess, I know. I know. And the Holy Spirit usually gets me of like, I was kind of shallow right now, huh? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it is. I got to go dig. I got to go spend time with him. And Building a relationship with the Father is not meant to be like everybody's. It is just meant to be yours. You can read, you can journal, you can pray, you can worship, whatever it looks like. Just be steadfast in it, though. Be intentional about the time and give it to Him. Would you humble yourself enough to give Him more than what you think He deserves? Which means, are you going to get past the 10 minutes and give Him the 30 to 40? And I'm not saying you got to go to like, I give God five hours a day. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, are you willing to take intentional steps to build, to dwell with him? 
I'm just, I just think that one of the biggest things for me is this. Whenever my students would come to me and be like, Gabrielle, I'm just struggling so much. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I, I just like, I feel like God and I are so distant from each other. I always ask them the same thing. Well, are you even spending time with him? And they're like, well, kind of like, then I said, when's the last time you spent time with God? And they're like, well, like two or three weeks ago. Okay. Then that's why you feel so distant because you don't even know him. And I'd explain it in this way too. How would you like for your best friend to just not talk to you for two to three weeks? Like you're longing to know and to hear about what the, what's going on. You know what's going on because you're a part of their life, but they're not talking to you about anything. How would you feel? And that's the same thing with God. He is longing to know and to love you and to spend time with you. But you got to go. You got to set yourself apart. You got to set the time aside to go dig the well with him, to spend time with him, to know his word deeply, to love him deeply. I feel like a lot of times we sing these songs and we don't actually mean what we sing. Like, I want to know you more. Do we actually mean that? Because we don't give him the time to actually know it. We don't. So those are the three keys. Humility, honesty, and steadfastness. Will you be humble enough to spend significant time enough, enough to spend significant time with him? Will you humble yourself before him? Will you be honest with him? Will you tell him about the disappointments, about the hurt parts of you, about the things, the things that you didn't want anybody to know? Will you tell him about it? He already knows, but he wants you to tell him about it because that's relationship. Steadfastness. Will you build the relationship? Will you abide in him? Will you build? Will you go to him? The day that you realize your relationship with God shifts your entire life, everything is different. All those people that you look at as your heroes in the faith, as these big, amazing people that you want to be like one day, they are started the same thing as you. They started in a field that they had to cultivate and be steadfast in. Are you willing to be steadfast? Another thing that has to do with the field is surrender. When I was in the field, I had to learn the significance of surrendering my dreams. And a lot of times people don't like to hear that. What do you mean you have to surrender your dreams? But the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. Yes. But when you begin to live this word out, watch your desires shift. You don't desire for the things of this world. You thirst for righteousness. You thirst for his presence. You thirst for more of him. I always like to, I'm going to flip over for a second, but I always think it's really funny when people are like, well, I just think God wants to give me everything that I want. Because I'm just saying like, Yes, God wants to give you good things. Yes, God loves you so much. He wants good things for your life. But are you willing to be humble enough to understand that in the midst of that, you're going to shift? 
that things are going to shift. That actually, when you spend time with him, it is no longer about the desires of your heart. It starts to become the desires of his heart. How do I know that? In 1 Peter, it says, 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As, an obe- as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so, you, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. What is actually being said in First Peter is this. When you stepped into relationship, you shed off your old self. You died to yourself and you picked up who you are in him. Which means those evil desires, those desires you had before, they may not have even been evil, just desires that you had before you laid yourself down. Those, those aren't what you want anymore. You are now longing to be holy because he is holy. You are now longing to look like him because that is what happens when you lay yourself down. I think a lot of times when we hear verses like, we need to die to ourselves and, and things like that, right? Like shed off your old man. I think we don't realize that what that's also talking about is shedding off our old dreams. For me personally, I had major dreams that I had in my life, right? I, I, if you know my story, you know that for a long time, I wanted to play professional basketball. That is what I wanted to do with my life. That is what I was set on. But God called me to ministry and I fought it for a very long time. And then God was like, are you going to obey me? Or are you just going to sit in the tension of all of this? And we're going to be distant. And I had to get really honest with God and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not about to live in a disobedience to you. But I watched my desire shift as I drew closer to his heart. I went from wanting to do something prolific in sports to now wanting to do amazing things for his kingdom. And, and is that everybody's story? No, but I was willing to surrender my dream to him. I don't want anything to be hidden in my heart. I don't want to try to make my own thing happen to the point where I walk in disobedience. If the desires of my heart are contradictory to what he wants for my life, I can't do it. I can't do it. But as you begin to dwell more with the Lord, watch your desire shift to Him. Watch your dreams shift to, to, to loving people well, to being a light in the darkness. Watch it shift. I think surrender is scary because we don't actually think God's going to ask us to act on it. I think a lot of times when we hear the word surrender, we think, okay, yeah, like I'll lay down like the little things. We don't think God's going to ask us for our dreams, for money, for friends, for everything we have. We don't think that. But, and my big thing is this too, like, then why do we sing these songs about being refined by fire, about Jesus, I'll give you everything. I long for only you then. You don't actually mean those things, right? We can't sing these songs and then not expect God to ask for action. I just think a lot of times when it comes to relationship with the Father, it really breaks down to this. How far are you willing to go for him? How much comfortability are you willing to shed? Because on the other side of your comfortability, 
is is the most significant dreams and anointing that you could ever see in your life. One of the biggest things that I had to do in my personal heart is push past my comfort because everything inside of me wants to stay where it's comfortable, where it's safe, where it's easy. But when I push past it, that's where I see significance. That's where I begin to understand. That's where I learn how to slay giants. When I get, there's these points in, in um, sorry, I just like lost my train of thought for that for a second. But as you delve deeper into 1 Samuel, right, and you watch these things happen, there is something that happens to David, right? And you see it. You see what happened in his heart in the midst of the field come forth in 1 Samuel 17, 26. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes his, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What David is asking is this. David is going, guys, you're really going to let him talk about God like that? You're just good? You're just fine? Because I'm not. And what happens is you watch David kill Goliath, right? How, why does he kill Goliath? Because he loves the father so much. What happened in the midst of that field was he fell in love with God and a justice spirit began to arose out of love for him because that's what relationship is. Tell me about a moment in your life. If you have siblings, you're going to totally understand this. When somebody either bullied or picked on your sibling and you were like, oh no, not today. I've done it. There's been numerous times. There has been fights that have happened because somebody decided they were going to try to mess with one of my siblings. And I said, no, you're not. And that's the same thing that we need to have with God. Are we willing to say, Mm-mm. no, not my God, not today. And I think that's one of the scariest things that is happening right now in this generation is we're scared to stand there. I see a lot of people that are willing, but I think when things get a little bit dicey and people are like, well, you're meant to love. Yes, I am meant to love you. I'm also meant to bring you some truth at the same time. And I'm going to love you through that truth. I'm not going to bring you all truth. I'm going to bring you love in the midst of it. And I think there, there is, there is one thing that, side note, this is going to be a side note, that really has irked my spirit, which is when people take his word and manipulate it into places so that selfishness can come forth. That is one of my big kickers of, okay, so you're willing to use God's word so that you can do whatever you want, but you're not going to even follow the fullness of what it means. Okay. I think one of the things that I have noticed too is this, and I'm trying not to get like riled up because this is one of my like personal convictions, but it's this, it's, are we going to actually lay our entire lives down to him? Or are we just going to say we love God so that we can try to get into heaven on these little things, right? On our own selfishness, on our own pride, in our own way. If we actually believe that this is the full and living and true word of God, then that means we have to live it out, right? But a lot of us aren't willing to do that. A lot of us just want our own, honestly, theologies 
to bring forth our promises to get into heaven. That's what we want. How do I know? You don't nitpick the Bible when you're actually walking in true obedience to it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just at this point where I, I see it all the time, all the time, where I'm watching words be preached that are so contradictory to what his fullness of his word says. And then I'm watching people go, well, I guess it's okay. And you're making exceptions to the word when there's no exceptions. I'm just saying, yeah, he's a God of mercy and grace. But if you're going to try to get into heaven off of grace alone, I'm actually really scared for you. Because living your own life, doing your own thing, and then going, well, there's grace for me. That is a testy place to be in. That is a place that I could never live in. I'm being honest. Like, I could never do that with God. I could never play him, try to. I think that's the thing. That is, that's what it comes down to. I just process myself through to this. Wow. External processors. Look at you guys. Like, I'm such an internal processor, so I've never, like, been like that very often. Unless I'm just, real talk, sometimes I talk to myself because I'm an introvert and that just helps me process better. But we're trying to play God. Like, he doesn't know. Like, he isn't. Like, he doesn't, he isn't all-knowing. He isn't all-powerful. We're trying to play God. And my thing with that is, how many times in the Bible have people tried to play God? Who was it? Is it Ananias and Sapphira that tried to keep, their, to keep half their offering from the Lord and God literally killed them? You can't play God. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the weight of love. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son for us. Yes, but he also wants relationship. He wants sons and daughters who are steadfast for him and him alone. He doesn't want people that are trying to play with grace. They're trying to play him to get into heaven. Like he doesn't know. When it says you will give an account, it means he knows. And it's not a time to play. I always thought I could try to do that too. I really did. For a really long time when I was younger, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do me for a few years. I'm just going to go to college, do me, have a good time, party, hang out with my friends, date whoever I want, do my own thing. And then, like, when I get older, I'll follow God. When I tell you, I am so grateful that I did not listen to that plan because I have friends and siblings that did the same thing and they are so far from God. They are so far. It's insane. So don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't be like, I got time. I'm just going to play him for right now, and then I'm going to come back in. Don't do it. Because what it's, all it's going to do is grieve your heart later. It's already grieving his, but it's going to grieve yours. Because you're going to come back into a relationship and go, how could I have been so foolish to choose my own ways above yours? Don't wait. And if you're like, man, I'm going to get, but God's like all about rules and like restriction and all these things. The more you fall in love with him, the more you're going to understand that it's actually the most loving thing he could ever do for you. He's actually saying, I care so much about you that I'm going to try and put safeguards so you don't ever have to deal with shame, condemnation, or struggle with any of those things. You don't have to awaken things that aren't meant to be awakened until it's time. You don't have to because I'm going to put safeguards for you because I love you. 
That is it. He's not about rules. It's not all about rules. It's actually that he loves you. Love, love looks like protection and safety. It is knowing that you can come to someone and go, I know I'm safe here. And that's what it is with God. That's what it is. Um, The last thing that I want to talk about is this. I know I just went on that tangent, but when it comes to the field, there's something that David does, right? And I've, it's cemented on my heart, this verse. And it's 1 Samuel 6, 17, sorry, 17, 48. And it says this, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. What is happening is David is walking in the fullness of the field. David walked out of that field and said, I'm going to kill a giant today. David knows how to kill giants. David runs towards giants because David cultivated a relationship, fell in love with the father, and then said, I will kill whatever tries to get in their way. Whatever tries to defile your name, I will kill it. Because I know that's not you. The spirit of justice that arises in you when you fall in love with the father is insane. I, the reason that I even go on that last rant is because I love God so much and I know the love that he has for you. And so I go, what do I have to kill? What do I have to take down so that people can be more in love with you? So that people can know you more? What is it, God? The reason that I even started doing social media, doing content creation, the reason that I even started the podcast network or the podcast and I'm helping other people cultivate these things is because I know that God wants his true way of love to be shown to people. And there are people that are taking it and they're twisting it up. And a lot of you guys are getting twisted up in the midst of it and thinking that it's God and you're walking in shame and condemnation and religion. And I know that it is the most freeing thing you can have when you have relationship with God. And so I'm like, okay, God, what does it look like? What do you want me to do? And he's going, I need you to go kill this. I need you to go kill the lies and deception that are being taught to my children. And I said, okay, I got you. How long? Until I say stop. I said, okay, let's go. But that happens because I cultivated a field. I run towards giants because I have cultivated a relationship with the Father. I have authority because I know him, because he has put it inside of me. I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm not worried about comfort. I'm not worried about him sending me into another desert season. You want to know why? Because I know how to cultivate relationship with the Father. A lot of you guys ask, okay, how do I, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? I bet you're in a field. I bet what God's going is, I'll show you. Will you come know me? I'll tell you. Let's build something. Because when God began to unravel to me, what he wanted me to do with my life. I was like, okay, all right. 
how's that going to happen? Like, I asked those, a lot of those questions. And my instinct was, I need to make this happen on my own. But God was going, no, we're going to the field. We're going to cultivate relationship. And you're going to come out in the authority and identity of who I have made you to be. There are a lot of you that God has called to do significant things in the kingdom and you're now in a waiting season and you're getting angry at God and God's going, actually, I'm preparing you for where you're going to be. Are you going to take the time to let that happen? Are you going to see that this is an honor, that the field, that the waiting is an honor, that I am in preparation with you? so that you can walk out and slay giants. The field is not a punishment. It is an opportunity of growth. It is an opportunity of growth. You can fail in the field and nobody's going to see it. But when you fail on a stage where everybody can see you, that's kind of suck. I would rather fail in the secret place when it's just me and God and we're figuring this out and I don't know what's going on. I would rather fail over there than anywhere else. That's it. You're not, it's not a punishment. And I want to say this too. Don't try to do it all in your own will. I think a lot of you guys have been in a field season and you're trying to figure out, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? How do we make this happen? Where is it going to go? I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm supposed to be building this or I'm supposed to be doing this business or I'm supposed to be doing this and God's going, hey, will you be like Mary and sit back? I know you want to be like Martha and just make it happen, but will you just sit back and let me, the King of Kings, make it happen while you build relationship and prepare and I'm working over here? When it says, now we see in part, then we shall fully know, that is about a process. He's going, obey this, walk in this, and then you're going to fully know. And that's some of you guys. Put it down. Stop trying to make it happen and start falling in love with him. Start getting addicted to his presence, to him. Get to the point where the things of this world are so out of your even scope of frame of thinking. Get to that point. Get to the point where you only like long and have an appetite for him and watch things shift. Are you willing? Some of you guys are going to do crazy things for the Lord. I know it. But you just got to be willing to go cultivate that field. Go and cultivate. It's not, the field isn't meant to be a perfect season either. It's just meant to be a nice. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. See you next week.